Hi there, Glocal citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, coming to you from Brooklyn. I know that story's getting old, folks, but I'm here. Otherwise, I'm not cry. But I'm traveling back to Africa today with my guest, who is an educator, advocate, leader, supporter, and connector of people and ideas, who is passionate about serving others through education and social justice, particularly women and children. She has over 10 years experience in education, finance, DEIJ, and has had roles ranging from trainer, advisor, evaluator, board representative, director, committee chair, and most important to her, agent of change in the lives of young women and girls. She's also an Africanist and believes that Africans must lead the charge to change the narrative and the current state of affairs of many African countries. And as a testament to this, she is also the host of 221 Afrique, a podcast focused on telling stories of Africans returning home to the continent. Aja Memuna Sako, welcome to the podcast. That sounds like a lot of receipts now when you say it. You know, you write something down and then someone says it. And it's like, oh, I did do that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You go, girl. That's exactly the story we want to tell. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. I'm so, I'm so happy to see you. Exactly. So let's get started with my first question, which is always, where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft? That's a loaded question. I My ancestry is Senegalese. My mom is from Yoff in Senegal. My father is from the Gambia, so Senegambia. Some people recognize it as such. And I was born and raised in the Bronx. I know y'all Brooklyn people don't hate, don't come for me. <laughs> uh, and so I, I consider myself a New Yorker more than an American. Of course, I'm American, but I'm, I'm, I rep New York all day, every day. Okay. Okay. So, it's true. I can attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> so so here's, here's where I'll interject how Aja and I came to meet. So as you all know, I went to the Dakar Biennale in May and Aja was one of my wonderful guides and, and hosts. And so that's how we actually met. And one of our fun experiences was going to a party. <laughs> you gotta do that when you're in the car. Yeah. And it was a lot of hip hop and it was a lot of flashback reminiscence. And yes, we, we, we repped Brooklyn, we repped New York, we repped the Bronx, we repped all the boroughs. So yes, yes. I can attest. She's she is a New York City lady. <laughs> okay, so so yes, yeah, so that's where you're from. Where are you local? I am currently based in Dakar, Senegal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. yep. Capital, capital city. What is your craft? I am an educator. I'm a boss. I just got promoted, actually. Congratulations. Thank you. Stepping into a new role in uh, a couple of months when school opens up. I'm going to be a DEI coordinator in addition to my role as an educator. So I basically serve students in elementary school who have learning disabilities and they need different ways to access the curriculum or different ways to show what they've learned. And I help the students. I I help the teachers as well. I am responsible for a staff of about 10 people in the work that they do. And we also are the ones who are in charge of teaching students English if they're new to English. That's, That's my craft. 
Mm-hmm. As you know, I'm also a former educator. And I guess I'm always an educator, right? Because we're in this business of making sure that the children have the content and the people around them that can give them the support they need to uh, grow into the adults that we need to lead. And so I always love to hear when people are so committed to the craft that they are innovating. And a lot of what the work is that I recognize that you're doing is very innovative, particularly in an African context. And so tell us a little bit more about how you were drawn to education. So you grew up in New York, you, you know, had so many different opportunities. How did education become the place where you have landed? I did not see myself in education, actually. It's actually pretty straight. Um, my, I was in a program called Upward Brown, growing up in New York City, inner city. And it was an opportunity to get exposure to college and the idea of going. I always knew I was going to college. That, was, that wasn't really, you know, no conversation around that. You got African parents, you're going to be something someday, right? So I knew I was going to get another degree somewhere. Um, I just wasn't quite sure what I wanted to study. And what actually happened was when I was a sophomore in college, my brother was attacked in a brutal gang-related incident in the Bronx. And they mistook him for someone else that we hung out with when we were growing up. And because they hung out and they were so close, everybody thought they were related. I mean, that's how close we we and our families were. They were looking for this person. They couldn't find him. They found my brother instead. They attacked him. He basically was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital. They worked him. They revived him. He is a successful educator right now. Just to to wow, wow. At the time, I was I was in the process of joining a sorority. Shout out Sigma Gamma Rho. It is our centennial year. Everybody's in Butler right now. I'm so jealous. And I was I was like, I think I want to open a nonprofit. Like focus on like helping kids get off the street so that they're not in gangs. Because I feel like if these group of kids were doing something else with their time, then this would not have happened. And that's that's the direction that I had. So I got my university degree. I studied African studies and sociology. So maybe I was always meant to come back. I don't know. But at the time, that's what I that's what was interesting to me. So I studied that. And then I went on to uh, NYU and I got my MPA. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go create a nonprofit and all this other stuff. And the first job I got out of my grad degree, I worked at um, the mayor's office, Mayor Bloomberg, in the office of budgeting. That shit was boring as fuck. Yes, I was about to say that wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had, we, we have also NYU in common. So we both went to the same graduate school. And so, yes. And then in our work, I worked for the city's economic development corporation and we had all the fun, exciting projects. Whenever we would like interact with the budget folks, we would always be like, oh, those poor people. (laughs) (laughs) But, but I mean, I took the job because I was like, first of all, I had student debt, like like most of us do, but also because I was like, I want to know how to make sure that I'm balancing budgets. If I'm opening this nonprofit that I'm going to create. Because most nonprofits, they go out of business within the first five years because of their finances. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I don't want that to be me. So let me learn how the money comes in, how the money can go out. Let me really understand that. So that's kind of why I took the job. And then, you know, I was what? I'm probably aging myself now. I was 26, 27, maybe 28. I mean, just single living life, just enjoying life, you know, nothing in particular. And then um, around the same time, my brother became a teacher. Mm. Mm-hmm. And he went through the New York City Teaching Fellows Program. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he started telling me about how much he loved. And I, the thing about it is before that, he was working in another job that he hated. You know, it was just, I'm going to take this job because I need to pay bills, whatever, whatever. But 
I noticed something really different in him when he took this job and started training as a teacher. And it's funny because when my brother was growing up, uh, Florence, he was bad. Like, he was so bad. My mom sent him back to Senegal and was like, you go stay for three months and get yourself. Wow. Yeah. And it wasn't that he was a bad kid or a bad person. That's not it. It was just the surroundings and being a young man and my father not being in his life. And, you know, just a lot of things. And then he acted out. And so when he started doing this work as an educator, I just remember how terrible he was to his teachers. And I'm like, he's going to get that karma back, you know? Mm -hmm. know? (laughs) (laughs) And then it made me start thinking, like, maybe there's another way to fill out this mission that I have for myself of shaping the minds of youth. And maybe it doesn't have to be a nonprofit, Mm -hmm. you know? And I said, and then that's when education started looking sexy because I was like, okay, First of all, you have the summers off. Like, who doesn't love that? Mm-hmm. Yes. And in general, I'm a people person. I'm like, my superpower is I'm able to connect. Yes. So so for me, that wasn't going to be a difficult thing to do. It was just a matter of, okay, are they going to accept me? Because I was already doing, I was in the process of completing my master's at NYU. When I was like, oh, maybe I might want to not do this anymore and do something else. So then I applied to be an educator to do my another master's degree. And they basically were like, you're not serious. Like, you're in the process of getting one right now. And you're trying to get another one. Like, you're not even finished. And they didn't accept me. Well, that's very African. <laughs> A million degrees. <laughs> and so, and so I, I graduated from, from my school. I went and worked for the mayor's office. And then I went on and worked for Moody's. And this desire to do something related to education still didn't leave. So I was like, well, let me apply again. The worst they can say is no. And I applied again and I got in. And that's the rest of history, literally. Okay. okay. I've been teaching for about Were you also a teaching fellow? Years. I was a teaching fellow. So yeah, I went through the teaching fellow program. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And you were saying you've been an educator for? Uh, 13, 13, 14 years now almost. Okay. Yeah. All right. You're a career educator now. I don't know that I intended to be in this space this long, but I really like what I do. Like I, I remember my first classroom, I had a um, first grader. Oh, you taught first grade. I taught first grade, Florence. And I love those kids. Like I learned so much about just being creative, being open-minded and just yeah, they're sponges. Like everything they see around them, literally they soak it all up. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was, it was a great, opening into being an educator because and, I, and that's when I knew that this was divine you know what I mean like sometimes you make mm-hmm. these decisions in your life and you just pray that it all works out but my very first teaching job my dance teacher from eighth grade hired me mm. and so I went to like this hiring fair because that's how they did it in New York I don't know if they do that still and and like the HR rep for that school hired me mm-hmm. so she's like oh there's a great teacher uh, principal that you're going to love. Her name is Ms. Robinson. She's wonderful. She's this, she's that. I'm not thinking Ms. Robinson, my teacher from eighth grade. I'm like, oh, Ms. Robinson, okay, whatever. I walk into the first day of training and I'm like, Ms. Robinson? And she's like, Aja? You know, that was my very first year. It was, it was, a, it was a blast. I had so much fun that year. Yeah, I could imagine. And where was, was that school in the Bronx? That school was in the Bronx. That school was in the Bronx. And then, it, and then it, I think it solidified that this was the right decision. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. That's lovely. Okay. So you're in the classroom, you're teaching first graders. And, and so in that work, when did you sort of discover the special needs aspect of, of your educational practice and craft? 
So when you go into the teaching fellows program, they sort of evaluate your education and your experience, and then they, they pick a path for you depending, depending on, on that. So when I applied, mm-hmm. they originally wanted me to do secondary, and I'm like, no way in hell. Uh, middle school will eat you alive. These high school kids, I, I can't be beaten up. I'm too small. Like, they don't think I'm one of their friends. Like, I can't. <laughs> I'm a lover, not a fighter. I'm like, no. So what I did was I actually went behind their back, and I applied for an elementary school license. So then they had they had – no choice but to allow me to be in elementary school. Sure, yeah. And so with my background, it was either do mathematics or, which was what they wanted me to do in secondary because I had the finance background, or to go into, and then when I switched and I said I'm going to do elementary, the only way really to get into that with being a career changer, that's how they considered me, was to be a special education teacher. Mm, mm, okay. So, so then, so then as part of the program, you go to school, you get training, but you're also teaching at the same time. Same time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I just had a knack for it. I was just good at it. I was just able to... You know, I'm like, they call me like the whisperer at my school. Like it was just, yeah. kids gravitated towards me. You know, I built really good relationship with their families and it wasn't difficult for me to have hard conversations with families. And I think maybe because they saw me within themselves, an African woman, a black woman, you know, uh, very similar background to them. I could have made a left turn. I would have been where they were in terms of like the level of poverty of the, t- the students that we were teaching. So, I mean, it wasn't that much different. And the community that I taught in, it was uh, in the middle of the Bronx. It was a huge West African and uh, Latin Latinx community in there. So that's what I grew up with. So I definitely connected with that on them as well, you know. So so it, all, all in all, it was just really a great experience that first year. It really was. I think the biggest challenge that I had at that time so New York City has this thing that, um, yes. I don't know if you know, but there's always a problem with their budget cut. I got excised, which means that the school couldn't pay me anymore and I had to go find a teaching job somewhere else. So that was probably the biggest challenge. And then I ended up going somewhere that was even, you know, greater to, to, to really allow me to develop more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, I think, led to why I ended up moving to Africa to begin with. And we'll talk about that, I know. But but it worked out. Literally, it all worked out the way it was supposed to. Yeah, yeah. I kind of feel a lot like that with my education career. So I did Teach for America. So similarly... You know, you go through a training, et cetera, et cetera, right out of university. And for my training, I taught fifth graders. Mm. And talk about, you talk about you'd have been eaten alive by the middle schoolers. <laughs> I got eaten alive by the, because fifth grade is a really interesting age. Like 10 year olds know everything. So they are at the, they are at a place where they're not quite adolescents. You know, they're on the verge of adolescence. So they think they're, they're, they kind of know it all. So that was, I was like, oh my gosh, how do I control these children? And, and just, I don't want to say control, even manage them. So this was in my Texas classroom for a summer. I was like, oh, I don't know about this fifth grade. So fortunately, <laughs> because I was, um, and I, you know, I got a lot of fun with my guests, but I just couldn't necessarily relate with the younger ones. So fortunately I was assigned to DC. So I, I lived in DC and because of my science background, engineering, I got seventh grade science. And it was perfect for me, right? But but to your point, they did challenge me because mm-hmm. at one point there was this issue with the my my one of my periods. So I taught seventh grade throughout the day, right? And so one of my periods appeared after lunch when they're rambunctious. They've just been all together doing the playground stuff. So the boys in the class, this was my most I say they were the most fun class. The boys were a little bit flirtatious, I guess, or they had said something to somebody amongst the groups and said, yeah, Miss Adu's pretty. 
So mm-hmm. somehow whoever heard that was one of the girls that had an eye for this this guy. So then the girls are now giving me like uh, the side eye. Yes, like, the side eye. Yeah. So that was that was within the first couple of weeks. I was like, huh. I had to tell him. I was like, I am not your friend. And so you need to act accordingly, right? And we had to call home. And sure enough, the parents, I was like, look, you need to tell your, your children, I'm not your friend. I'm not interested in, in the boys in the class. I'm her educator. And that, that squashed it. So that became my funnest and most, you know, I was closest to them because then they realized, oh, you are a teacher and you do have our backs and you want us to learn. So, so yeah, those are the challenges, but it was, it was yeah. fun. I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I I uh, I taught first, third, and fifth. And when I taught first, those first graders, eventually, I taught them again when they became third graders. And then, well, because okay, so so you know, but maybe your your listeners might not know. So I was a special ed teacher, which means that I was often paired with another teacher in in a classroom where I was the second teacher, and there were students in her class who had needs that I would support, but I also supported everybody in the room. But then there's also this thing in New York, and I think it's in most states, where you have um, a classroom where all of the kids have needs. And so Mm -hmm. we call that a self-contained class. I guess now they call it inclusion. I don't know what they call it now. I don't even know the terminology there anymore. I don't even know the terminology there anymore. Well, they're doing less and less of that. So, you know, I'm I'm still in this education space in New York. Oh, they are? So, yeah, so we have far, far less of it, definitely. But it is, there are... A category of children that that need to be 60% of the time out, not inclusive, because inclusion is the idea. They want to make sure that everyone doesn't, no one feels isolated, because that was, you know, when you were growing up, it's like, oh, they're special ed, you know, and yeah. so they would yeah. get the, the name and they were in a separate class and it was just, you know, not necessarily productive. So, yes. At that class, I had a fifth grade class that was like that. And I would say that was my most challenging class, like, ever in my life, mm. you know, but then come to find out, because when I left, and we'll, we'll get into that a bit, my brother ended up working at the school that I left. Oh, okay. The, so they're like, oh, you're one of the, you're Miss Saka, you're Mr. Saka. It was crazy. And then, and then one year when I came back to visit, because I always try to come back and visit when I'm in New York, uh, one of the students in my classroom was uh, the salutatorian from middle school, and he had to make a speech. And in his speech, he was like, I will never forget Miss Salco and how she really cared about us and really was there for us. And I guess, it, you know, I remember my teachers and how impactful they were. And maybe that's what also motivated me to some extent to be a teacher, yeah. being being of our backgrounds, being different from everybody else and just wanting kids to really succeed and like holding them to that expectation that I went to college. I had some of the same circumstances that you had. I have two master's degrees. You can do it. It's okay. You know, and I'm proof. So let's get it done. You know, cut the excuses. Cut the excuses. And I think that, like, it went up there and said, I still remember how she cared about me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's, we don't know it until after. And it's, so just well, let me just tell one more story because so one day I'm living in Brooklyn after grad school, working out at the gym. And I'm just doing my thing, working out. And there's, I see this young man. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I try to keep my headphones on, and so people wouldn't be, you know, doing anything. In the gym, so, I, right, exactly. So I finished with the, you know, stationary stuff, and I'm on the mat doing whatever. And so this this young man is still looking at me, and so he comes over and he says, "Miss Adu." So this was one of my students in that class. That class. Ooh. In that class. <laughs> And he now was a trainer at the gym. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Yes, yes, yes. But to come to find out, he's like, Miss Adu, man, you know, I would never forget you because he also I, I, took, I coached track when I was there. So he was on the track team. He's like, yeah, Miss Adu, I went to college and I ran track. 
It was Look all, at you that. know, uh-huh, uh-huh. So he went to school, ran track. And now at the time he was a, a model. So he's like, yeah, I'm in New York now, you know, being a model. And he was actually a working model because I would see him on things and on shows and things like that. So, hey. so yeah, we, we, I just have to say thank you to the educators. And that was obvi- uh, definitely, as you say, one of the most rewarding periods of my, of my career, my, my working life. So, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It has its moments, but I mean, it, 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 the rewards outweigh the deficits for sure, the challenges, you know? Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that's a good segue into how did you actually end up in Senegal? So why the where? How did you come to be working, playing, and living where you are? So you're this New York City teacher doing really well, and then you're now a teacher in Senegal. How did that happen? My, I became a teacher, and then I began traveling during the summer, because, I mean, that's what you do when you're a teacher, you know? Like, you Live, live it up and visit the world. So my very first year, I think when I finished, I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Senegal because I had not been to Senegal since uh, undergrad, actually. I came as a study abroad program, failed the class because I didn't do none of the work and I was partying the whole time. So I was like, <laughs> but I still graduated with a 3.9 GPA. So whatever. But I, I, um, I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Senegal and like go see my parents' roots, you know? And it was, uh, I went, I booked myself for the two months and I was like, I was out every single day. I connected with my, because my siblings were here and I had, uh, all of my older siblings were in Senegal and myself and my younger brother were in the U.S. And so it was an opportunity to connect with all of them, to see my aunt. I, my grandmother was my namesake. She has since passed away last year, but it was an opportunity to form those relationships, you know? So I was like, I'm going to go and see what it's about. And I had so much fun. Like I just, it was just two months of just eating too much and like soaking up the sun and going to all these cultural events. And like, you know, the car is yeah. big to this day. It's big on the music and the art scene. So just like really enjoying those things. I wouldn't have probably been involved in that because I was a child, you know? So then I was like, okay, I got to go back. So then, so then, so then I came and I came back to work and you know what? I'm crazy, Florence. And I, and I've grown up out of this. So I used to go on vacation the day school ended, like school ended on the Wednesday, Wednesday night, I'm on a flight. Like, <laughs> and then come back the day before school was supposed to start. I've gotten much better about that. I travel, well, this year, not so much because it's different, but in general, I'm like, let me give myself a little bit of time. So I came back and I, and I came back to work and like, it was fine. And I just come, you know, first of all, being around other brown people and that's all you saw, number one. And like everyone is of all walks of life. You know, you have people who are super rich and super successful. That summer, like I ran into like uh, a very famous um, football player who was on the, Afri- the Senegalese national team and they had went to the World Cup a couple of years earlier and just walking through town and I met this random celebrity who was not like the celebrities that we see in America where there's you know some of them are assholes and he was just like and then like on a separate occasion I met another musician Yusundur who's a huge superstar who was so like oh, maybe I might want to come back and like live here and see what it's about like I think that's when the bug kind of like set into my ear because the very next summer I came back and I had booked myself for two months but I came mm-hmm. for like the first two weeks and I got bored, Florence. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. This It feels different this time. I don't know what it is. So then I ended up, because the, the flights from Senegal to Europe 
it's, it's fairly cheap and it's, it's fairly close compared to if you're flying from out of the United States. So I have family in uh, Europe and I was like, okay, well, this is summer. I probably would have come to see them anyways. I hmm. arranged it and I got to go to different places in Europe that I had never been. I had to go, I got a chance to go to North Africa, but like step away from a bit of being in Senegal. And maybe because I was there all summer last summer. And then now I'm like trying to be here all summer again. Maybe I needed that just to kind of appreciate it a little bit more. And then the summer before, at the end of the summer, so my very first summer that I had came, I had met a guy and he was like, oh, you know, I love you. you I'm like, I don't, I don't know who you are. I don't know that. Let's just see. You know? <laughs> and I'm Muslim. And I say that to say he, he wasn't white. And, and my American upbringing and my American mentality and what I know to be true because of that culture, I couldn't really accept the idea of being a second wife. It just didn't. My Muslim side, I think, was okay with it. it but my American side was not. And the two is what makes me who I am. So I was just like, okay, I'm going to come back. You know, we, we, we kept in touch the whole year that I was back in the States. And then I said, I'm going to come back and see if I'm feeling it. You know what I mean? Because marriage is a big commitment. And to be a second not a first, but a second. And I don't even know what that is like. Cause my mom wasn't a second wife. My my aunts and cousins and everybody that I knew that were in um, a multi-marriage uh, relationship, they were all back in Senegal. So it wasn't anything that I had seen. So I was just like, I don't know about this. So then when I came that summer, I, I, I just, I don't know, something was off. I don't, I, maybe I evolved. Maybe I was in a different space. I don't know, but I just wasn't into it. And so I got to travel and I traveled pretty much all of the summer out of Senegal. And then I came back maybe about two weeks before it was time to come back home. And I was like, dude, listen, and then I came back home. I spent my two weeks on vacation and then I came back and then, and then it really hit. And then it was like, oh wait, a, a key, a key component that I'm forgetting. When I came that summer, that second summer, I met this woman who came 20 years before me. She's from Brooklyn. And you know, New York, we find each other. Like, it's just something that, <laughs> I don't know what it's, you just know when people are from New York. So we connected off of that. And then she told me about how she came as a college student and she didn't know anybody in, in Senegal, but her spirit was telling her that she needed to be here. And she just got on a plane and came and she met this man and 20 years later, and then she told me about this international school. And I'm like, international school, what is that? Uh-huh. There's a such thing as that that exists? Like, what? And she's like, yes, go go back home, Google it. You know, there's a whole community of international educators. There's not a lot of Black people or Africans in that space. It's mostly Europeans and white folks. And she told me it, it kind of just started because a long time ago, you know, the U.S. was, you know, they had operations in different countries. And so their kids had to go to school. And so they pretty much would go into different places and through the State Department, they would kind of find a way to open a school and then those schools have now been there for whatever amount of years and then some of them are, some of them are funded by the u.s embassy some of them are on their own but and some of them are just catering to international uh people because people are coming into the country and they need to work for the different contracts that they have my mind was blown i was like ah, what like this this space exists like what <laughs> you know so I come back home. This is my second summer after my second summer, and I'm doing research and I'm looking. And and when I was home that um, when I was in Senegal that summer, I actually went to the school that she told me existed here in Senegal. Mm-hmm. And I was just it was just random. I was like, okay, I just wanted to see the school if that's okay, you know. And the, the director was like, sure. He took me around the school and gave me a tour and everything. 
I was like, well, can I leave my CV, you know? And he's like, well, I'm leaving because I've taken on a job somewhere else. But there's another director coming in, and when he comes or, or she or whoever it was, I'll definitely pass on your CV and with some notes or something like that. So I said, okay. Didn't think anything of it. Came back to the States. Went back to rainy, sunny, snowy New York. <laughs> and, like, seriously starting to consider, like, I might want to move back to Senegal. I wonder what it would be like if I lived there. I mean, I speak the language. Right. I've been growing up in the culture. I know the yeah. food. Like, that's not going to be a shock to me. But I really started thinking, like, is this a possibility? Right. Yeah. And then, again, divine timing. Right. Because after that, I never heard back from that director. He went on to his, um, his second school and then the new person came and I, something happened where maybe the exchange of knowledge was missed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I went on to the school's website and I saw that they had a, uh, an opening for a homeroom teacher of a fifth grade classroom. I'm like, shit, I don't want to do fifth grade. <laughs> <laughs> And at the time, I was a fifth grade teacher, and I was a fifth grade teacher to that student who eventually went and said all those great things about me. Okay. Yeah. I was like, damn, that class was really challenging. It's probably my most challenging class. And I'm like, dang, if that's what I'm going to have to do, I don't know. And I said, but what if if something happens? You know, so I just applied, sent my CV off and everything like that. And the woman that I had met who told me to go back and do my research and everything like that, she also owned the school. Oh, Okay. So she said to me, it's actually better if you get a contract as an international educator. We call those people expats. I'm like, oh, there's a word for this? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> she's like, she's like, yes, you want all the benefits that they can offer you because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you probably have things that you're committed to back home in the state. And if you were to be offered a local contract, you probably can't live off of it the way you would want compared right. to what you're coming from. Right. I said, okay, so she gave me a lot of useful information. And then she actually had an opening for her school mm-hmm. around the same time that I saw this fifth grade position at this other school. And uh, we set up an interview, me and the woman, and Florence, that was in 2012, December 2012, is now 2022. I have never heard from her. <gasps> wow. But she still has a school and she's still in Senegal. But that's God. Yes, it is. It is. Because I'm yeah. sure had I heard from her first, and I'm sure had she offered me a job, I think at that point I was ready to come and see what it was all about. I probably would have taken the job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's important because I later on, like in the last couple of years, I met someone who ended up being recruited by her in the U.S., mm-hmm who came to Senegal and had the most terrible experience that you can ever think of where she broke her contract and went back home. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I think God was like, hold on, honey. The right one is coming for you. You know? Yeah. 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 But you, you know, and and I'm so, I'm so, um, I'm a reflective person, but I'm so humbled that like, I can sit back and kind of look at the dots and say, oh yeah, that was him. That makes sense. Or her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. You know, that's uh-huh. how it's supposed to be. So I ended, up, I ended up getting off my CV. I didn't hear back from the school for about three, four weeks. I was starting to worry a little bit. I'm like, damn, they didn't even tell me they don't want me. They just didn't, they just silent, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I'm, I didn't, and I didn't know at the time that international schools, most international schools around winter break, they take three to four weeks off. Mm-hmm. So 
around when I sent my CV, it was when they were, had just started break. Mm. And I know that now because I work in an international school, but I didn't know that then. Right. And so one day, like in January, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to send them an email because they just need to tell me that they don't want me because this is crazy, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I sent an email and uh, the HR rep wrote me back. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 no, we want to interview you. It's just that we were on winter break and then whatever, whatever. And then she set up an interview like on a Monday. By Friday, they offered me the job. Okay. And then I was like, well, let me think about it. Because, you know, you can't come off so eager. You got to. <laughs> you can't come off so eager. I was like, let me. Can I get back to you on Tuesday? <laughs> the relationship dance, I guess. <laughs> In all levels. <laughs> I got, but I had a couple of questions and then they answered my questions and then I signed the contract and put it off and that, here we are. Officially, okay. in August 2013, I would officially have been in Senegal for 10 years. Oh, wow. So you're coming up on another year and you'll be there for a decade. Wow. So that's, so that's a, a great why the wear story or, or yeah, how did you come to live and work and play there? Thanks for joining us for part one of my conversation with Aja Sacco. Be sure to join us next week when Aja tells us more about what it's like to be an expat educator in Senegal, as well as more about her work in DEIJ and her podcast, 221 Afrique. As always, you can catch us each and every Tuesday with new episodes at GlocalCitizensPod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to like, subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review. It helps people find good content online. And as always, thanks for joining us. Bye for now.